1: hello welcome along to a brand new episode of writer's routine this week chatting to author anna kent she's just published a new domestic noir book called the house of whispers it's all about an old friend that slips back into someone's life and how guilt and obsession changes everything we talk about pseudonyms also what she had to learn before writing domestic noir and why starting things off on google doesn't always work.
2: Well, my first draft was only sixty thousand words. I mean, I, I knew nothing about writing novels, and I had Googled how long does a novel have to be, and come up, I'd come up with sixty thousand words, but apparently it's eighty 000 to ninety thousand words. So the first comment was, it's not long enough.
1: Stick around more with Anna Ken in this week's writers' routine. <music> yes. Welcome along, it's Writer's Routine, the show where we take a look inside the working day of some of the world's best authors. My name's Dan Simpson, thank you for being here. Uh, We're on show 200 and something now, I really appreciate you coming along for the ride, joining us as we take a, a little peek inside some writers' working days. Now this week, it's Anna Kent with her sort of debut, I say sort of, because Anna Kent is also Annabelle Cantaria, and Annabelle has published four novels. For Anna, this is her first. She has worked as a journalist in magazines, as a radio producer, also as a book editor too. We talk about what editing taught her about writing, and how she was able to be an impartial observer for her own work. A skill which I imagine we'd all love to get at some point. Now, the new novel is The House of Whispers. It's all about Grace and Abby, friends who fell out at university whilst their friendship was all consuming and exhausting. And years later, Grace returns to Abby's life and they slip back into the comforts of each other's lethal charm and company. We find out what influence they have over each other. And it's quite terrifying at times. It's domestic noir. We talk about how she got published, the contest that she entered and the meeting with a publisher that changed her life. Also, how thoroughly she plots, why she likes to stick to the three-act structure, how she knows when to carry on writing. And we start off, as we always do, with what Anna Kent sees around her in the place where she sits down to write.
2: My computer in front of me. Um, I always have a lit scented candle when I'm writing I can see my printer it's quite a messy desk because you know that doesn't bother me Um, there's my pin board above me which has inspirational pictures and writing quotes pinned on it and then if I turn to the left there's a double uh, doors to the front garden with white shutters and if I peep through the shutters I can see the garden the bougainvillea and um, sometimes I have to check to you know I'm looking out of the window to see if anybody's coming up the drive or about to ring the doorbell there usually is somebody at some point interrupting me um yeah that's it
1: tell me about your messy desk then you mentioned you've got the uh the the, the laptop you've got the printer um what like trick trinkets would I find on there any 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 treasures that kind of help you get inspired
2: uh, no. Uh, well, there's a few photographs. There's a photograph of my husband and my children. <clears throat> there's a couple of school children's school photographs from years ago standing up against the wall. I haven't managed to frame them yet. Uh, there's also, there's a lot of paperwork, but to me, <clears throat> to me, it makes perfect sense. They're all in folders and the folders are all stacked up, but they're there on the desk. They should probably be filed away. But if I file things away, I forget them. So they kind of remind me that I need to deal with them.
1: Is there a system to the chaos in, in 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 that system?
2: Absolutely, there's a system to me, and if anyone comes and messes with my my system of my papers, I get really, really quite salty.
1: <laughs> you mentioned the um, you mentioned the inspiration on the pinboard around you. Um, any other kind of forms of inspiration to help you be creative? Uh, like a bit of art on the walls, maybe some books strewn around you.
2: I do have. Okay, so I didn't turn around in my seat, but behind me there's my bookshelves, and I keep there my own books, and I keep a very small sample of books, fiction books that have recently inspired me or that have inspired me for the current work that I'm working on. There's usually only five or six. And there's also two shelves full of um, writing, creative writing books, you know, on the process of writing things like Save the Cat and script writing books, because I, I I really like to use the script writing um, formula for my novels. So there's quite a few books on process, there uh what else there's also um there's a big frame on the wall which has been put up on the wall of my first ever novel has been my husband had it framed for me and so that's up on the wall um yeah that's it really
1: the the books that you've got behind you that inspire the project that you're working on uh how often do you kind of flick through them when you are working on that project or are they just kind of aesthetically there to remind you what's going on?
2: I think if I get stuck with my writing and I don't know I feel that I've lost my way I'll just stand next to the bookshelf and flick through them and just read little paragraphs and it just kind of kickstarts some sort of something in my head and then I can sit back down and start writing again. Just the way, it, just the, way the other authors have used language or Opened a chapter or something. It, it it just it is quite inspirational.
1: Yes. Uh, tell me about this scented candle business as well. What what's that What's that doing for you? Is it Is it taking you to a time and place? I've spoken to authors before who like. Who did I speak to recently? An author who wore perfume that matched up with the story she was writing, and I know smells play a big part in memory and creativity. Is there any? Uh, thought behind the candle you've got, or is it, and it, this is fine if it is, but is it just something to make it smell nice?
2: It started, I'm thinking back, it started when I picked up a candle quite randomly in a shop and it said that it would trigger left brain thinking. Um, and so I bought it thinking it would mi- maybe make me more creative. And I discovered that I liked having a smell on while I'm writing. So now it's just whatever I get hold of. But I like fresh, uplifting smells that sort of awaken you and, and make you feel a bit more. Perky, so nothing sweet. I've got one that's salted caramel and I just can't burn it because it just makes you hungry. Um, so it's usually lemongrassy or lemon or mint or you know that kind of thing.
1: The big question did that original candle make you feel more creative?
2: <laughs> I can't remember, it was so long ago, probably because I keep <laughs> buying candles now. So, <laughs> uh,
1: around you, there's a lot of inspiration. Is there anything practical around you if I was to, uh, aside from the books behind you, if I was to sit there? in your chair by your messy desk (laughs) with your pin board next to you. Would I have any ideas as to what project you were working on at that point? I mean, post-it notes, I mean, maybe plot points on the pin board as well.
2: Oh gosh, yeah. You see, there is such a lot that I haven't told you, isn't there? Um, So I have a post-it note stuck on the wall next to me with my running word count. So every day I cross off the day before's words and I write how far I've got the number. And in fact, I completely forgot to tell you that in front of me stuck to the wall is a magnetic whiteboard where I will have drawn out the three acts of the plot. And I have stuck uh, little note cards using the magnets onto the whiteboard in each section for, so each, um, I'm not saying this very well, am I? Each index card will be for a scene that I'm, I'm yet to write so that I can basically see what the book's going to look like. So that's there too. Yeah. And under the desk, in terms of practical things, there is a foot roller, because I always work with bare feet. And um, yeah, I'm always rolling my foot arches on this lovely foot roller under the desk.
1: I'm a barefooted person as well. I don't know what that says about us.
2: <laughs> Can't be bothered to put on shoes?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, perhaps, perhaps. I've always, I've always tried to maintain It's, it's some, I don't know, being like grounded, being one with nature. That's what I've always said. But I don't know. I'm, I, might, I might be talking nonsense there. Um, uh, listen, I'm, I want to come to the, 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 the structure, the script writing structure that you work through. We'll, we'll cover that in just a sec if you want to kind of keep that ticking around in your brain. Now, the show is writer's routine, Anna. Uh, so talk us through yours. The moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you're sat down to write. Uh, how does it look?
2: Well, so we get up around um, seven these days, um, get my son off to school. My husband does the drop off. And the moment they leave the house at eight, it, my writing day starts, and I will pad through to the study. Um, I'll, I, honestly, I won't have got dressed. I won't have showered or got dressed. I'll be wearing shorts and a vest top, bare feet, and I go st- make a second coffee and go straight through to the study, light the candle, sit at my desk, and start writing. Because if I don't do that, if I get if I let the day distract me, then I've lost that precious time, and I'm most creative first thing in the morning when I wake up. And I've learned that if I start doing other things, then it it doesn't work so well. So I sit down and I'll write as much as I can, probably maybe two hours, and then I start thinking about having a shower, um, or going to the gym, or you know putting my makeup on, or whatever else has to happen. Have a little break, and then I'll write again. And usually, probably around half past twelve, I might go to the gym or do a home workout for an hour, hour and a half, and then I'll have lunch. Sorry, then I'll shower if I haven't already showered. Then I have lunch um, and I might get in another another couple of hours or hour and a half before I have to go and pick up my son from school. And then he's he's 12 now, so he's a bit more self-sufficient. If he if I don't have to take him to activities, I probably get in another hour in the afternoon um, and then that's it for the day. I can't work in the evening.
1: So your writing day is, is spread out over... Significant chunks that you're using to get your words down
2: I mean I've just described a really good day to you often it's not of course <laughs> uh,
1: of course it's taken as <laughs> read, I think that um things get in the way uh, on the ideal day though when you do when you do have these you, you know three or four chunks to or two or three three or four chunks to write with um how do you find they're different as in you've said that in the morning when you're getting to work you like to get ahead of the day, you like to write as much as you can. Uh, how do you find your final writing chunk of the day differs from your very first one, I guess, energy and creativity wise?
2: Oh, it really depends, actually. So if I know where I'm going with the story and I've got a good plan ahead of me, um, sometimes that afternoon one can also be really quite a good spurt. And because I see that as a bonus, because traditionally I didn't work in the afternoons when my children were younger. And I've only just reclaimed that now. Um and so, if I get any more words done in the afternoon, I just feel really pleased with myself, and it can be like this kind of final burst of getting it down before the day ends. Um, but if I find that if I sit down and it's not coming, then I won't bother writing in the afternoon. I'll use it for marketing or watching videos on how to market your book, or you know that kind of thing, adminy stuff rather than actual writing.
1: Is there an aim every day for you, Anna?
2: An aim. Um, In terms of writing, minimum 1000 words a day, but usually more than that. If I haven't done 1000 words, I feel really, really at odds with myself.
1: So hopefully 1000 words. What about the plot wise? I know that you've spoken about the structure, but when you sit there at kind of eight o'clock first thing in the morning, how much of an idea about what you want to get done that day do you have? Do you know where you want to finish up?
2: Oh, no, I'm not structured like that. I just sit down and use the time as constructively as I can and sometimes I don't know where the book's going to go that day so um in which case no it's, it's more about word count than than plot wise
1: how perfect do those thousand words need to be
2: bit, I, I write quite clean drafts yeah so pretty perfect and what I'll do when I first sit down is I go back and read what I wrote the day before but only what I wrote the day before not not more than that and so I usually give that a little tiny polish just to get my head back in and then carry on Usually, I think when you're writing a first draft, the the push is just to get the words on the paper. Um, but I was an editor before I was a writer, so it's kind of hard not to edit as I go. I always tell people not to edit as they go, but I still do it.
1: Uh, being an editor before you write, what? how much did that teach you about getting words down in the first instance? I mean, you've said that you your first draft is pretty clean, but... Uh, I guess, how much do you second guess yourself and, and how much generally is d- did editing teach you about writing creatively?
2: Oh, writing and editing are completely different things. And you, do, you, when you're writing that first draft, I feel you have to have your writer's head on and and not go back and edit too much, which is why I limit myself to only what I wrote the day before. Otherwise, the temptation is to go back to the beginning and reread everything and change things and mess about with it, which means that you're not getting words down. Um, The editing, yeah, it's it taught me a lot. So once I've got the first draft, I, it, I'm really good at going back and editing it, the whole thing properly. But it is quite hard to stop yourself editing as you're writing.
1: When you go back and do that big edit the first time, how much do you need to detach yourself from Anna Kent, the writer, to become Anna Kent, the editor? Do you uh, is is it kind of like tapping into editing someone else's work which you might have done a a, a few years ago
2: yeah it is in a way I can be really detached I can read through it and know if it's working or not um, and know what has to change usually (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, on on a bad day Anna well on any day really when the when the words are struggling a little bit you mentioned the candle and maybe a cup of coffee right at the start Uh, are there any tricks uh, any anything that you use to, 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 to prompt you to help the words get out? Maybe it's, um you know, a piece of music or maybe it's another coffee at a certain type of day. Is there anything that you find just unclogs the blockage a little bit?
2: I think if it's really, well, I'll always try and write through it knowing that the next day I'll probably look back at it and change everything. Um, but if it's really bad, if I'm really, really struggling, I know that I just need to get up and do something else. So I might just go to the gym earlier and have a workout and when i'm on the treadmill and not actively thinking about the book something usually shifts um and then i can come back after lunch and sit down fresh and it's it's better but w- walking away from it is the, is the answer for me
1: listeners to the show uh quite a lot are writers who maybe haven't had the break of being published yet uh, so it's always interesting to hear different people's path to publication to having their books on shelves um so you've you've written different novels as, as kind of under different names is that right so were there four as Annabelle Cantarius is, is that right yes that's right and now there is Anna Kent just just tell us uh as much as you'd like as details as you like about how you've ended up being published as Anna Kent with the House of Whispers now
2: oh so I I was very lucky in that I was writing my first novel. And I wasn't doing particularly well at it. I had got about 30,000 words down. And then I saw a competition that had been launched um, for unpublished writers to submit, I think you had to submit a synopsis and five pages, the first five pages. And this was in Dubai at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. And I entered the competition thinking, you know, at least even if I don't win, then an agent from London is going to read my work because I had been spending a lot of time googling how difficult it is to get your work in front of agents and to get them to actually read it. Uh, So I entered the competition and I won it and my prize was to meet Luigi Bonomi um, for lunch in London Uh, and I, I, I didn't win a contract with him, I didn't win a book contract, I just won lunch with him and I had to pitch my book to him at at this lunch, um, which was the most stressful lunch I've ever had in my life. <clears throat> I know I had prepared everything. I'd written the most beautiful synopsis and I sort of got it out of my bag to show him and, and we're sitting down in the restaurant and he said, no, tell me, Annabelle, tell me. And I'm, I'm not very good at speaking, writing is my craft. And so I had to pitch this book to him over lunch. Um, and at the end of it, he just, you know, he helped me with ideas. As I said things, he said, well, would it be better if this happened or it would be better if this happened? Um, and at the end of it, he said, OK, well, how fast can you write it? Off you go. And then I had to go and write this book. Um, and yeah, and, and uh, I submitted it to him probably nine months later. And he at that point liked it and went off and sold it and got me my first three book deal, uh, which was then thankfully renewed. I got another three book deal. Um, and that, yeah, that's where we are.
1: In those nine months where you're busy squirrelling away and writing it, um, are you getting any input from maybe uh, him who you had a lunch with? Is there any kind of checking in process? Is it just letting you get down to business and seeing what happens?
2: I think if he was always there, if I wanted to check in with him, but I, I'm a very private writer. I don't like anyone to look at my work before it's finished. And, and he sort of said to me, look, you're writing a thriller. The more times I look at it, the less I'm going to have that first time impact. So bear that in mind which is very true. And so I wanted to finish it so that, cause there's only, you can only read it the first time and get all the twists. After that, you know what the twists are, right? So I decided that I would wait until I'd finished it before I showed it to him. And I think I showed it to him. I think I did that first draft in three months and I showed it to him and he said, it needs more work. It's not right, you know, and he sent me back to work on it again. And it took me six more months to actually get it up to scratch. To, to a sort of level that he was willing to accept.
1: What changes do you remember making to that over those few months?
2: <laughs> well, my first draft was only 60,000 words. I mean, I, I knew nothing about writing novels. And I had Googled how long does a novel have to be and come up, I'd come up with 60,000 words. But apparently it's eighty to 90,000 words. So the first comment was it's not long enough. And the second comment was you, that I had a big subplot that did nothing for the actual story. And he said to me, you know, this whole subplot, I'm sorry, but it, it's its not adding to your main story, so it has to go. And I think that was probably 20,000 words. So then I sat there with a 40,000 word novel, which was not long enough at all. Um, so basically, I had to come up with more story to to take it up to the 80 to 90,000 words it needed to be. It was very sad, actually. It was It was a really hard day. We had lunch in London. Again, I was over for the summer. And I met met Luigi for lunch and I walked away thinking actually this is really hard I'm not sure that I I've got what it takes to do this and then I had to sort of rally myself um and and think come on you're so close you've got this far don't give up keep going keep going it was really tough it's a very lonely um business writing books
1: how easier is it for you now
2: Oh, it's still a lonely business. (laughs) It's just that I think that the experience of having written a few that have been published means that I know that at some point during the process of writing a novel, there's going to come a point when I think the whole thing is rubbish. I think that I'm not good enough. um, And I go through this whole self-doubt period. And I know now that I just need to push on through and everything will get better and it will all be all right. I have to trust the process a bit more now.
0: Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
1: More with Anakin in just a tick on the show. As I said earlier, we're over 200 episodes of Writer's Routine now. Uh, over 200 times we've taken a look inside the working day, the working spaces and practices of some of the world's best writers, people that have been around for a while and are publishing their 500th book, uh, and some who are just getting started publishing their first. It takes all sorts. And if you have learned anything along the way that has helped the way that you write, the way that you tell stories, the way that you plan your day, you can say thanks to us for that over at patreon.com forward slash Routine. By becoming a backer there, you get our eternal gratitude, you get merch, there is a way for your book to sponsor the show, and you can even get some bonus content as well. It's all there over on Patreon. It doesn't cost a lot, not the earth, anything that you give I am so appreciative of. A dollar or so a month, it just helps us keep going. It helps us keep bringing you these chats with the best authors around as often as we can. And we've got some huge names lined up for 2022 that I cannot wait to share with you. I cannot wait to get them out there. In the meantime, if you love the show, if you love listening to the way other writers work and taking a peek inside their day, you can pay it back to us and become a backer at patreon.com forward slash Writers Routine. Let's get back to it then with Anna Kent on the show, talking about her new book, The House of Whispers. It's domestic noir. And in this part, we chat about what she had to learn about the genre before getting started. Also, how she got a great tip about viewpoints from her editor, and we pick things up talking about the plotting and the structure. She said that she sticks to the three-act structure. When she has an idea, how does she put her story into that?
2: Um, the very classic film structure from Save the Cat is the one that I've started using. I used it for the House of Whispers. Oh, did I? Um, sorry. <laughs> Every book, I mean, every book has been different for me. Sometimes they, I, I have a structure. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I plan them. Sometimes I don't. Um, but I, yeah, I like the Save the Cat structure very much.
1: Why are they? Why are they all different for you, uh, Anna? Why? Why one book do you plan quite thoroughly, and another you kind of do it on the uh, while pantsing?
2: <laughs> That's a good question. The first book, I obviously had no experience and knew nothing. And I tried to plan it all out meticulously and stick to it. And I found it a bit restrictive. Um, The second book, I didn't plan. And that meant that halfway through it, I got completely stuck and had two weeks when I was absolutely in bits about where the novel was going. And I started writing a whole new section, then took it out and then went in a different direction. And and that was all quite difficult. Uh, The third novel just kind of fell out of me without any plan or structure. I found that very easy to write. The fourth one, I used a structure because I knew where that one was going. And the fifth one, House of Whispers. Um, yeah, that, that's been quite a problematic book to write, actually, because uh, <laughs> I had a structure. Um, and then when I handed it into my editor, she didn't think it worked. And she gave it back to me and said, look, we can, we can take it like this. It's good enough. But I think that if you change it, it's going to be even better. And so I took it back and changed it all. Uh, so, yeah, they've all been different.
1: Well, well, let's talk about that then, the new book, The House of Whispers. Anna, just tell us about the very first moment that the idea for the story came into your head.
2: Oh, I was reading an article on the BBC website. It was one of those longer um, longer articles, you know, the sort of in-depth reads. And, and it just really resonated with me. And, and it was about a woman. I can't tell you what it was about because it will be a, a spoiler for the book. Um, but it stuck in my head and I just thought, gosh, I, I, maybe I can write a story about this. And then I just thought about it and developed it into how it could play out as a novel.
1: I'm not going gonna... <laughs> know, to. I know you don't want to give anything to and This is the perennial problem uh, for authors trying to explain their books. But so when you've read this this article, this long form article, how are you taking the idea? Well, the th- something that happened and making it into your own idea. What are you doing before you type that very first sentence?
2: Oh, so I was thinking about, so the, something had happened to this woman in this article and I, it was something I'd never really thought about before. And, and so I was thinking, gosh, how would that play out if, if that had happened to me? You know, or it, So my background at university, I studied psychology and I was thinking about all the ways in which it could play out in her emotions and her life You know, as she, as she got older um in in all the ways that it would what had happened to her would manifest in her behavior and her attitude to life um and then I decided to create a character who was having that play out in a very extreme way (laughs) I hope that's not giving any spoilers
1: Well, you mentioned it was a problematic book for you to write. How much did you know about the entire story before you sat down? How thoroughly had you planned this?
2: So I knew the entire story. It was just how I was going to present it in the book and whose voice, who was telling the story. So what had happened was I wrote the first third um, in the point of view of uh, the wife called Abby. And then I wrote the, the middle section of the book from the husband's perspective. And then I returned to Abby's perspective for the last section of the book. And my editor really liked Abby's voice and said Abby was very convincing and a really terrific character, but she didn't find the husband's voice as convincing. Um, And she thought that it would be better if I wrote the entire book from Abby's point of view. So by the time I did that second draft, I knew the entire story. I knew exactly what had happened to all of them. It was just putting it in another, from another perspective, from another viewpoint.
1: Originally, why had you made the decision to split the views?
2: Um, because I thought the story would be better reflected from the husband's point of view. But actually, my editor was completely right. It was very difficult because he wasn't actually there. <laughs> it's a it's a complicated thing to explain.
1: And how did you find then having to go back and rewrite and completely change the angle that we're seeing this from?
2: Um, difficult, but good. I think it was the right decision and, and I'm glad that we've done it. Um, I'm glad I did it. It was very difficult to write though because this character, Abby, is an artist and she is quite agoraphobic and she doesn't go out very much. So (laughs) my challenge was to write an entire story from the point of view of a woman who sits in the attic painting and make it interesting (laughs) and make it over 90,000 words. Um, So that was quite challenging. But once I got into it, I realized that a lot can happen in a house.
1: Well, so again, without doing too much how, how how are you doing that? How are you making one person's experience of what's happening inside a house authentic for maybe a reader who never ever does that, who does go out and does enjoy themselves outside?
2: Well, she has her friend come to stay with her, so there's lots of um interaction with the friend in the house. Um, and she does the friend does then drag her out a couple of times, <laughs> so she does actually get outside of the house. And she's painting. Obviously, there's, there's quite a bit about the painting and the paintings tell a story themselves, quite a sinister story.
1: You're writing domestic noir, which is a genre that's kind of crept up over the last few years. How much did you think about like tricks and tropes of writing in a genre, ways to keep the reader engaged when you're writing in, in domestic noir?
2: Um, there's quite a few techniques. Obviously, twists is the big thing, um, so all of the books generally have a twist in them. Um, I've had to learn how to use foreshadowing quite a lot, because if you have a twist coming at the end of a story, you need to keep your readers turning the page to get to the twist. It's no good sort of writing on the cover, you know, keep going because <laughs> a twist's coming. You've got to sort of hint that something terrible is is coming. And my agent said to me, you know, try and, try and think of it as gradually very gradually pulling the carpet out from under your readers so that every now and then they're sort of feeling unbalanced and uneasy and knowing that this great big tug of the carpet is going to come and they're going to go flying but you know just keep tugging gently so that they're they're never quite balanced as they're reading it I thought that was a very good
1: analogy how did you manage that without uh, being a bit cliched like I'd imagine it would be quite easy to slip into something a kind of uh you, you know you finish the chapter with little did she know what was happening next you know that kind of very staid thing how did you find keeping up the balance of making sure the twist was a surprise but also keeping people engaged without giving things away
2: it is hard you have to be subtle you have to plant really subtle clues um fore- foreshadowing is fantastic and I learned a lot about foreshadowing from reading Louise Doty's book um I'm going to forget the name now. Uh, Apple Tree Yard is that what it's called? She that that book is a masterclass in foreshadowing and I was always referring to it to see how she'd done it. Um so yeah lo- lots of very subtle foreshadowing and sometimes not so subtle. Um and I had also so the other the technique I used in The House of Whispers was interviews with the husband so the book opens with an interview and you don't know who's interviewing the husband or why. And it's, it's like a questioning. Um, and I think it, it says something like, so at what point did you notice that things were starting to go wrong? And so already, you know, on, on page one that stuff had gone wrong. And, and, and then I peppered those interviews throughout the book to, to keep the reader sort of trying to guess what exactly has happened to who and why and how. And um, so I think that keeps the tension up as well.
1: So often I'll speak to an author who had planned everything quite meticulously, knew the roadmap that their story was taking, yet the characters were pulling it in a different direction. Uh, how much did you find your authors, want, your, your, your characters rather, wanted to do something that would upset your apple cart and surprise the whole thing?
2: <laughs> it always happens. And in this one, so as, as I've mentioned, um, I was writing it from the perspective of Abby, the protagonist. Um, but the husband kept popping up and he his voice needed to be heard as well, which is why I decided to put the interviews in because he had stuff to say too. He really had to talk about what happened in you know in that house that summer.
1: And that's it for this week's writers routine. Thank you so much to Anna Kent for coming on the show. Her new book Domestic Noir is the House of Whispers. Make sure you get a copy from your local bookshop if you fancy a read. Next week, we're with the memoirist, humorist, Paul Bradley Carr about his debut novel, 1414 Degrees is what I'm going with. I'm sure I'll be corrected on that pronunciation next week. Until then, you can always support us on Patreon become a back at patreon.com forward slash writersroutine. We are on Twitter at writerspod there. You can get in touch with us, writersroutine.com as well. And I'll see you next week with Paul Bradley Carr on the show. Until then, bye.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things.